Take your Bible sort of Acts chapter 9 tonight. Wednesday nights, I have been covering sort of a caveat or a thought from the message I have been preaching on Sunday morning. That's primarily been from the book of Acts. And tonight I have another one of those vignettes from this book. So if you look with me, go ahead and stand with me tonight. We're going to look at three different chapters here, just a verse or two each to open and close a loop here. But in Acts 9, um, we have this kind of um, exiting event of the Apostle Paul. He's just recently become the, the Apostle Paul. He was Saul, saved on the road to Damascus, and then, um, um, you know, presented to the Apostles by, by Barnabas. And so, in, let's just, we're going to recap that a little bit. So, in verse 23, uh, Paul's been saved. The Apostles are fearful to accept him because he persecuted the church. Barnabas, in the encouraging way he did, found Paul, uh, brought him to the Apostles to be received, and they did because of Barnabas' recommendation. So, in verse 23 of that ninth chapter it says, And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. Speaking of Paul, um, but their laying awake was known of Saul, this, this was in Damascus, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. And the disciples who were in that city, not the apostles, the disciples took him by night and let him down by the wall in, in a basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, this was the first time he had been there. He had saved, or he desired, he wanted to join himself to the disciples. Obviously, he wanted to be part of the Jerusalem. He wanted to meet the apostles, Peter, James, and John. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. And, of course, being responsible for Stephen's death, that's sensible. You'd understand that. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how he had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, coming in and going out in Jerusalem. So he was learning and sharing stories with the apostles. And he was with them, coming and going out in Jerusalem, and he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, how can he do this? He's just newly saved. Well, remember, Paul was a Pharisee, and not just any Pharisee, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a student of Gamaliel. This man was probably more highly, well not probably, he was more highly educated than any in his company. And the other apostles were simple fishermen. They would have had, you know, a functional knowledge of the law. Paul had most of it probably memorized. And so this man is now seeing Jesus in the pages of the Old Testament Scripture, and he's just talking about that, out of this vast wealth of understanding and knowledge. So he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. So his early Christianity is not going so well. Uh, two different groups of people in different cities want to kill him. But this, this, is, this comes quickly, but it's important we get this. Verse 30, which when the brethren knew... They brought him down to Caesarea, and they sent him forth to Tarsus. Okay, Tarsus was his home city. Tarsus is where Paul spent most of his life. So, um, he's in Damascus. Um, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's in Jerusalem, and, and now he goes back home. And so, you know, we, we find him a little bit here in the Scripture again. But here's a point I want to make. He's there for six years. Somewhere before this, you know, between, before Jerusalem, he, he spent some years in, in the desert in Arabia. But now he's deposited in his home city, and he's in 
Tarsus for six years. And this story continues. The church grows and, and more things happen. So look in chapter 11 now, uh, verse 25. So where's Paul? He's in, he's in Tarsus. How long has Paul been there? Six years. Now here's a man who's seen the Lord, been saved, had a, had a personal vision. Um, he's met the apostles. He's, he's vetted things with them. Here's a man, you know, really cocked and ready to go. And he goes to Tarsus and disappears for six years. And he would have stayed there. And, and this guy, Barnabas, just, you know, kept finding Paul. And uh, so we know the story. The, the gospel went out to Antioch. And Antioch is in Turkey, where modern-day Turkey, so it finds its way to Asia. And it, it's blown up there. And people are being saved right and left, and not just Jews, but now primarily the Greeks. And this task is bigger than Barnabas, so he needs help. So I'm sure the Lord brings him this man's uh, to his mind. And so six years pass, and then verse 25. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And so six years go by. Now, chapter 12, verse 24, and we finished here Sunday. But the word of God grew and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul together returned from Jerusalem when they fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So now we really have the, this launching pad uh, for Saul, along with John, Mark, and Barnabas, to start an incredible ministry that we call the Three Missionary Journeys of the Apostle Paul that conclude in Rome with him presenting the gospel to so many people, starting so many churches but not until after six lonely years were completed. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for the day, and Lord, for this, this text You preserved for us to study, read, and learn from. Lord, I pray that You'd help us to, Lord, find application here, and Lord, learn from it, and apply it. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank You for standing. I think most of us here tonight have a desire to grow. Um, at some point in our lives we were saved. Um, you know, if the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us, there's, you know, what Matthew 26 calls a willing spirit. There's an impetus inside of us that I think seeks to grow. And, and I don't know what that word implies to you. For me, it's really fashioning and forming myself more the image, the disposition, the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, but when we think about growing in grace and becoming what we might call a better Christian, um, we probably very rarely go deliberately looking for patience. So I want to become a better Christian, so you know what? I want patience. <laughs> you know, I, I don't think that's what a lot of us do. We think about, well, I'd like to have more Bible knowledge. And I, you know, I want to work on my giving. And, you know, there's, there's character traits that I, I can improve on. There's, there's virtuous traits that, you know, I, I need to work on. But I don't know that a deliberate goal for many of us is, is waiting. Is I want to wait and, and learn, you know, the patience of Job. Rather, in our Christian journey, I've discovered patience usually comes looking for us. You know, we don't welcome it very often, but patience comes looking for us. Patience, perseverance, waiting, and all these associated virtues that require 
a continuing doing right minus any kind of immediate gratification, any kind of immediate reward, any kind of maybe fruit for our labor or doing the things that we want to do, things that don't have immediate gratification attached to them, you know, we were not really all about that. But we swim in that world, in that environment. Our culture, our environment, our media, our communication devices, the news, amusements, work, and our expectations all pretty much reside in the immediate. In other words, I don't want to wait, I want it now. I, I remember, I'm, I'm old enough, I remember text messaging. Well, before that, I remember emails. Some of you guys think it's, that's, you know, from eons past. No, I remember emails in my lifetime starting. And I remember, this is so weird. <laughs> you guys old enough to remember thinking that emails were weird? Wow, I really am old. <laughs> Nobody will use this, and then people did. But I remember using emails, and for those of you who remember, then you got an email, and then you thought about sort of like a letter. Well, I'm going to, I'll read it, and I'll get back to it. You know, and then I remember those days I told people, if you send me an email, I'll try to get back with you within the week. <laughs> that was my, you know, I, I thought about like a letter. If you write me a letter, take me a few days, I'll reply and I'll send it back to you. And I thought about emails that way. But I remember as it continued, I felt more pressure to reply quicker. And then came text messaging. And there's just kind of expectation now um, when you text somebody, if you haven't heard back from them within five minutes, you know, we're texting back again or we're sending little emojis like, where are you or whatever, you know, I don't know what those are, but you know, we, our culture, we're like, um, we don't, we're not about waiting. We, we want information now. We want things done now. We're about immediate gratification. Waiting for things, especially um, if waiting you know, elongates past our desired expectation of when something should happen, that's an irritant to us. When choosing between delayed gratification or immediate reward, it is human nature to choose immediate reward. And that's what we nearly always choose. But there are times, and I think everyone with any age here at all, there are times when waiting is imposed upon us. Um, it doesn't matter what we want, we don't have a choice, we wait. So we met early tonight with the deacons, and so we left 40 minutes early from my house, 45 minutes early, and it usually, well, if Terry's driving, it takes us 15 minutes here to get here. If I'm driving, it takes me, you know, 30. But she was driving, and uh, I wasn't expecting a delay. And so 244 was back two or three miles. And I don't know what's happening or why. If someone knows, you can tell me after service. Massive delay, delay all down, all the way down 129th. And we left 40 minutes early and I'm waiting. And then I hit the red lights. And we all love red lights, you know. And, uh, and we don't like that. But it was imposed on me. There was, I had no recourse. I, I had to wait. And that happens in small ways in our life. And then sometimes that imposed waiting happens in big ways in our life. And in those times, um, you know, when if we will allow it, if we will cooperate with it, it's amazing that in times of waiting, God often desires to do His greatest work in us. It's not wasted time as we so often maybe want to uh, treat it, but sometimes it is the waiting when God captures our attention and desires to do something 
in our heart. Often we see waiting in the shadows, being sidelined, feeling unrecognized, underappreciated, marginalized. Um, we see all of those pretty much in a negative light. If we think we have something to offer and people aren't, you know, knocking down our door asking for it, we, we struggle with that kind of weight. Um, and this has all kinds of applications. Maybe you've waited longer than you wanted to for an expected life mate. That can be frustrating. Maybe you've waited longer than you ever thought it would take for someone to be healed or a relationship to be corrected. That can be very disconcerting. Maybe you've waited longer than you thought for your career to take off or to climb the corporate ladder. Maybe you feel like I've been in the same place for a long time. That, that, can, be, that can be maddening. For application here, maybe you've been here for a while and you feel like, well, no one sees my talents. No one understands what I could do or offer. No one's asking me. I've, I've offered, but nothing's happening. Maybe you're struggling in a difficult circumstance related to something financially, and it's not been resolved, and you, you wished and hoped it could be resolved, but it's not. Maybe it's been days, weeks, months, or years, and you're thinking, God has forgotten me, and people don't see me. Well, I doubt either one of those things is true. Your period of waiting for what you think you merit, or maybe what you just genuinely desire, may be a God-ordained pause. That's I just want you to think about that for a minute. This may be a God-ordained pause. Maybe it's not that people don't see you. I can promise you, you're not lost to God. There, there could be things out there, but maybe a time of waiting in some small way or some great big way that's causing you angst is nothing more than a sovereign, divinely inspired pause. For reasons that I maybe cannot explain to you or, or, or may not be become clear in time, but maybe it's from God. And maybe He's not just withholding something from you, but maybe through the weight He's trying to give something to you. Maybe like these byproducts of waiting we see in the Bible, things like patience, humility, strength, trust, and dependence. James Stalker, a British author, wrote this. And I think this is a very hopeful case. He said this, waiting is a common instrument of providential discipline for those to whom exceptional work has been appointed. Okay. Waiting is a common instrument of providential discipline for those to whom exceptional work has been appointed. Now, I agree with every bit of that, but sometimes I think the exceptional work sounds very lofty. You know, maybe it's work that you don't deem exceptional, but God does. So I want to be careful with how that reads. Because maybe you're waiting and you think, well, that means one day because I'm waiting, I'm going to get this great big job or a great big promotion or I'm going to get that thing I ever wanted. Maybe that is not the exceptional work God wants for you. Maybe God wants to use you right where you're at, right where you're at, in a way that 
maybe it doesn't seem exceptional to you, but may be a really big deal to God. You with me on that? So I want to be careful how you hear those words, exceptional work. I can rephrase that to say this. Waiting is one of God's preferred methods of repairing special people for significant projects. And again, that significant work may be different than you're thinking, but it would be significant to God. Now, I, I pastored long enough to know this. Sometimes people wait because of consequences in their lives. They're put on hold or there's this, there's this pause because of something that's happened and it's a consequence or there's a character issue that needs to be fixed and maybe there's a different kind of work God's doing in you. But even then, if we take time in the quiet of waiting to look in the mirror, here's the thing I want to guard against. It may not be the unfairness of life or the deficiency of others to see what you can do. Maybe God just wants to speak to you in a, in a very special way. No matter what the reason, waiting and patience um, is a tool that God uses in our life. And He will deploy it. I can almost say this, you know, unequivocally. He will probably deploy your waiting for something that you don't want to in every single one of our lives. If you think about this in terms of biblical example, there are many. Think about Moses for a moment. Moses was groomed like no man was ever groomed before. Here's a guy who, you know, God providentially took care of. Um, he, he grows up in the home of, of, of Pharaoh, but he's really nursed by his mom and dad for, for some time. He is trained in military, economic, diplomatic um, stratagem in, in all these areas. He's poised to become a prince of Egypt. Um, he has the favor of the, of the government, the, the, the political system, the military. I mean, everything's like it for him. And then God places his people on his heart. He goes in with good motive to try to defend them. And we know the story. And you think, here's a guy who has all the tools necessary to do something great for God. And then he's on pause until he's 80. 40 years of waiting. Moses was 80 years old when he saw the burning bush. Now he learned a lot there in, in the land of Midian and a lot of good things happened to him on the backside of the desert. But here's the point. The great work that he may have thought he was launching to do when he was in Egypt, it didn't transpire until the man was 80. And then after the waiting, the work went forward. David 13 years of running, 13 years of hiding in caves, 13 years after he was told by the prophet, you're going to be king. You have the tools, you have the skill, you have the heart, you have everything necessary. Man, you, let's, let's get this kingdom rolling. This guy, Saul's not the guy. You, you should be the guy. You know, David knew the deficiencies of Saul. He knew the needs of the kingdom. He had the tools. He was already a great war. He had conquered, you know, the, the, the Goliath, the Philistine. And now what are we to do? Wait 13 years. 13 years. Elijah was instructed to wait by a brook. He waited so long it dried up. Now, I've never been, you know, that, that might be in the course of a summer or whatever, um, in Oklahoma, maybe two days, but <laughs> go wait by Brook Cherith. He, he said there's so long that ravens had to be sent 
to, to feed him. And then he had to be sustained by a widow in Zarephath, a very undesirable place. He had to do all this waiting before he could go face, you know, an evil king and his wife, Ahab and Jezebel. He waited. Joseph, wow, what a wait. Told as a young man, you're going to have basically the sun, moon, and stars. Your family, the world's going to bow down to you. Can you imagine being told that as a 16-year-old or whatever he was? And then he's thrown in a pit. He's sold to slavery. He's accused of impropriety. He goes to jail. And you know the story. Years and years and years of waiting. Now let me ask you a question. In any of those four scenarios, do you think the waiting was wasted? Now if you were in those period of years, would you might think they were wasted? Oh, I could be doing this, and why isn't God using me? You know, I, I don't know maybe all the complaints in the moment. We have an insight, some of David's through the Psalms. There are things that indicate that Moses was like, let's get this going. But, but, but Elijah despaired for his life. But I, there were times of this waiting that these men no doubt struggled. And there are many other significant Bible figures who had their time of perseverance and waiting and enduring before what they were called to do made any sense to them, before their purpose was found. And no doubt these men at the moment felt underappreciated and undervalued. But the truth was, and we can see this here, exceptional work preceded by this extraordinary time of waiting, though. We say this, good things come to those who wait. You know, the good thing may not be what we always think it's going to be, but I think it's true. I think it's a biblical idea that good things do come to those who wait. And so often when we wait poorly, you know, we, we might forfeit what God has for us. And I think, you know, we forfeit the inner strength that we could have. I think it's entirely possible to short circuit this period of waiting. Um, so, you know, if you're at a red light, you have all kinds of choices. <clears throat> but lots of people spend it complaining. I don't do that very often. I'm, I'm fibbing right now. Terry's looking at me. But you get the idea, you know. We, we struggle on the commute home, and we complain about all the traffic, and, and there, there may be constructive things we, we could do. I, I think this, adding insult to injury, waiting and having a negative attitude about it, probably isn't ever productive. I think we can short-circuit the waiting in all kinds of ways. I think murmuring and complaining short-circuit it. I know the children of Israel in, in the wilderness, they did nothing but complain, and the end of that was they all died. And God had to raise up an entire new generation before they could go in. They waited poorly. Uh, that whole experience was, was, was that. I think we can ruin the waiting period by running away. And I'll get this in a moment. Well, if I can't have this, I'm going to go get this. And maybe that's not what God wants for you. I, I think we become bitter in our waiting period. I think we can look negatively at others. I, I think we can be critical, you know, maybe about a church or people or circumstances or job or whatever. But the Bible is filled with admonition to wait and wait cheerfully, wait joyfully, and most of all, wait with an expectation in your eyes on the Lord. One thing you'll never do wrong in a time of waiting is to read this book and to pray to God about it. That's a good way to use waiting. 
We don't have time. Psalms 37, Psalm 62, Psalms 91, Psalms 94, as a theme and tone of tenor, says, wait patiently on the Lord. And that implies a good attitude. Most times the word, if you see the word patient, it means cheerful endurance in the Bible, both Old Testament, Hebrew, and Greek. Isaiah 40, Isaiah 49, Hosea 12, many other texts press upon us the importance of waiting on the Lord and waiting with a good spirit. There's two realities about waiting. God uses it and will employ it. And that waiting almost always goes contrary to our wants, our desires, and our wishes. In other words, we don't like it. God wants to use it, and we often resist it. At least resist it with a good spirit. We need to be aware and mindful that waiting is going to be a challenge for us. But we need to learn to give ourselves to it, or we might just lose what God intends to bring to us. A few weeks ago, we considered Paul's time in Arabia. And we talked about the importance of quiet time, reflective time, time with God, not always letting all the sights and sounds of the world press and impose upon us the way our, our media and cultural devices do. There is value in finding God in the quiet, the still small voice. We, we talked at some length about that. But tonight we are considering Paul's time in Tarsus. Six years of waiting. Paul was saved on the Damascus Road in an incredibly extraordinary fashion. It was prophesied that he would do great things through suffering. He spent time with the apostles. Man, that had to be charging, inspirational. You know, let's go. These guys, they've seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord now. Let's go. He had been trained by, by Gamaliel. He, he, he knew this book better than probably maybe most people will in, in all of history. And then he waited. Six years he waited. What was he doing in Tarsus that whole time? I don't know. Tarsus was the city he came from. There was no report that the gospel had made its way to Tarsus yet. Most likely, Paul resided in some kind of Low level, um, maybe he was trying to preach. We we don't know that. My guess is he did a lot of tent making. He probably honed his skills as a tent maker because when he went on the road, that's what he did a lot of. Between preaching, he supported himself as a tent maker. He was quiet. He certainly was sidelined. He's not involved in any ministry from Acts 9 until Barnabas finds him. Because of death threats and the purpose of God, he waited. Paul's ministry was put on hold. He had to stand idle in hiding, in relative obscurity, at least scripturally. During one of the most exciting times in the Christian early history, faith was exploding out of Jerusalem. It was spreading in Samaria. It had found its way to Crete and Cyprus. It had found its way as far north as Antioch. I mean, things were happening. Peter was preaching. John was preaching. James had up until he was, he was killed. Philip was evangelizing and preaching. Barnabas was making an incredible difference in the church and in the world. And Paul was sitting idly in Tarsus. Six years. All those tools, all those resources, all those skills, all those abilities. There's so much that he could have been doing. But God said, wait. We know almost nothing about these years. I'm going to assume he was waiting. 
making tents. There's a simple lesson or two here that I want you to rehearse tonight. And the number one is this. Waiting was a time when Paul may not have been working, but God was working on Paul. Romans, let's, let's do this. T take your Bibles to Romans chapter 5 real quickly. Romans chapter 5. And Romans chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith through this grace wherein we stand, to rejoice in the hope and glory of God. So we have this great privilege in Christ. And not only so, or is that not the only blessing we have? We have the blessing of waiting. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that with tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh us not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which giveth unto us. In other words, patience and waiting are part of God's plan for our lives. For the sake of time, James 1 rehearses the same truth. You need to be patient, you need to wait, because only after that you can be entire, complete, and lacking nothing. Sometimes it'd be so easy to say, man, Moses, what you could have done. 13 years, what, what could have David done in those 13 years? Boy, if, if, if only, you know, Josiah could have got a little start, boy, Egypt would have been so from much further ahead. No, 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 God was working in their hearts. I, I, am, I am persuaded that what made David such a great king, a lot of that was learned in the 13 years of running. The backside of the desert had to be incredibly instructive for Moses. And by the way, some good things there. He found his wife. He had children. He had a source of good counsel in his father Jethro. When we are waiting, we may not be doing what we want on the outside. But if we're waiting patiently, God is probably doing a great work on us on the inside. But the Bible is very explicit in its instructions here. But it says, but let in James 1. But let, but allow. In other words, it says, you got to cooperate with this. You can sort circuit this thing. How many people have been sidelined, and we would know people like this, they've been sidelined and then ruined? Bitterness, anger, uh, frustration, bad spirit. But if we cooperate, if we but let, if we allow, if we allow God to work on us, to chisel us, to inform us, most of all, to humble us, Humble us. But I deserve, and I could do, and, I, and they don't see. And, 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 and God says, you're okay. Just sit there. You just serve me. You love me. Be patient. You, you could probably change the world. Or maybe you couldn't. But maybe you can, and maybe you will. But you need to Wait. We may not be doing what we do on the outside, but God may be doing a great work on us on the inside. If we cooperate and don't frustrate the purpose of God, if we can grow more humble, if we don't focus on the injustice, the difficulty, the problem, you know, being passed over, the unfairness of it all. But instead, if you could focus on prayer, being God's Word, and just serving where you can, if you could bloom where you're planted, maybe you should focus on you and not on everyone else who's not getting it. Realize that God is sovereign and He can and work through others in your circumstance. Remember this, in times of waiting, you're not lost. 
I want to encourage you, don't ruin the waiting by complaining and being critical. Don't ruin the waiting by jumping ahead. Well, <laughs> I've seen this here. Oh, I can tell you stories. Well, if I can't lead this ministry here right now, they're going to let me over here. And I've seen that over and over. Well, if I, if I can't be a big shot here in this pond, I'm going to go be a big shot in that pond. If you can't see my talents, that's your bad, and I'm using the application of church, then these people will. Let me, let me tell you something about that. You can go promote yourself if you want to, but you do things that way, you may get where you want, but my guess is you won't stay there long. And I have watched that over and over and over. You go ahead and you leapfrog God, and that almost never ends well long term. And that's just some free advice from things I've seen. If you don't get things done your way, don't choose another way. And look here at me. We have this attitude sometimes. I tried doing it right. I was a good parent and it didn't turn out right. Or I waited forever and it didn't, things didn't go right. I, I, I tried to do things God's way. And I have seen this. Lots of people, after waiting and not getting their way, they just didn't go someplace else. They went to a bad place. And that's not going to make things better. Number two. While waiting, don't think you can't be found. So often while waiting, not only tempted to think life's unfair and that we've been lost, the people in God don't see us, and my great talent's being wasted. Um, I promise you, if God is looking for you, you will be found. <laughs> I promise. I was teaching in a school, working on my education. I felt like I was do making a difference for Christ there. Um, I had a ministry. I was pretty happy. I was not looking for this. And this came for me. Now, have you know the story? That's, that's my perspective. I'm really happy God found me. It was terrifying in the moment. But I wasn't lost to Him. We've had guys come here. I, I, I think I can also give you five or six names of men who came here, either from ministries where they were hurt, or things went happen. And they were here for three, four, five, six, seven years. And I had someone say, you know, I, 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 maybe I'm never going to be in the ministry again. I said, maybe not, man. That's what God has for you. I don't know. And so those guys never went into ministry, but they found, they found ministries that were incredibly fulfilling and significant to God. And then all of a sudden, I get a phone call. It's for that guy. And he's, he's there. And he's been serving there for 5, 6, 7, 8, 10, 12 years now. If God's looking for you, He'll find you. You know, we've got to be careful about systems and things we push ourselves into. God will find you. The text presents this pretty clearly. Paul was sent to Tarsus and he stayed there. And I realize we live in the world of self-promotion and all this, and, and there's, there's place for that in some of the other aspects of life, but maybe in the Lord's work. He just stayed there. And the Bible says, let's say six years, but that's the time frame. He's there six years, and then Barnabas went and got him. Barnabas found him. Well, who sent Barnabas? The Lord. <laughs> the Lord did. You're not lost to God. If you have a good heart, you're going to make a difference. God's not going to waste the talents that He gave you. Maybe you need to look at, at a different way of deploying your talents. 
And maybe God's like saying, how long do I have to hold you here before you see a different alternative for you? I don't know, but I promise you this, you will be found. Let, let, let me make this just more secular than that. If you have talent, people will find you. If you have talent, people are going to find you. You're going to be used. Maybe what you think is your talent isn't. <laughs> and maybe there's a message there for you. <laughs> Just don't feel forgotten because you're not. Um, don't try too hard to promote yourself because God will find you. And, and you're okay. And number three, when waiting, God may not only be working on you, but he may be working on others. Okay. In all the cases I use, Moses, David, um, Joseph, and, you know, these others, and, 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 and Paul, I, I think I see this. Paul was put in Tarsus. I don't know what happened to him in Tarsus. I think he, he spent a lot of time with God. I think he learned a lot of humility. It may have been then that he received the thorn in the flesh that he besought the Lord for three times and couldn't get rid of. I, maybe it was that time frame. We don't know. But while he's waiting, Antioch hadn't been reached yet. But in that six years, it was reached. And Antioch would be the place, the launching pad, the explosive point for the gospel to go to the rest of the world. When Antioch was in greatest need, Barnabas was there. It's like these two things just intersected perfectly. Things maybe not been right for Joseph in all these years, but maybe, you know, the right leadership, the right time, you know, things out here are happening. And when these two things dovetail, it was right. It just, it just may be this. Maybe God's holding you because he's still getting things ready for you. Or is preparing a place for you or a ministry for you. I, I don't know, but it's just maybe not even all about you. God's just bringing the people and the circumstances and the time all together so that when you and your talents and your abilities and your heart for God come together, it will be most maximized in terms of impact. That's why it's good to wait. Don't get ahead of God. Don't push too hard. I just believe that if we wait on the Lord, we will be blessed. We'll find what He wants for us. And so don't jump ahead too quickly. When we wait, a work's being done. I promise you that. Whenever God asks you to wait, there's a reason for it. There's a work in you. There's probably a work in someone else that God's getting ready for all things to come together and intersect for His purposes and His good. Waiting is part of the Christian life. Don't waste it. Let me ask you to stand tonight.